Hey, good morning. It is a joy to be with you all today. I'm Rick Ivey. I'm the senior pastor here, and we're glad that you came to worship with us. I uh, am continuing on in a sermon series today about God being with us and for us. And uh, today, like the skit we talked about, candle, today's uh, got a theme to it in terms of peace. And uh, when we talk about peace, uh, we usually think about it in terms of one day there will be, right? Uh, as a Christian people, we think about it in terms of one day Christ will return and there will be peace. Or uh, the other side of things, when we talk in terms of peace as a Christian people, we usually say, uh, you also have peace with God because of what Christ has done for us. And we talk about how he's able to forgive us and offer us new life. And we have peace with God through that. Uh, we talk about that in terms of future or in terms of past. And I think the, the struggle that I wanted to talk about today is in terms of our present. Uh, do we have peace today? Do we have peace in this moment? Uh, because it is so essential and it's so important for us as a Christian people to embrace that and to, to learn to live in that. We live in an anxious time, a time where people have a great deal of anxiety and worry. And even though we are a congregation and a, a people of faith that talk about a future, that will be great, that will be wonderful. Um, when we talk to people that are outside the church and you say to them, one day things will be better, they, they like the news, and yet does it really have an impact on their, their daily life? Same thing with their past being forgiven. Does it have an impact on their daily life? Does it give them the peace that they deserve and that God desires for each of us? Or does it make them more anxious? Uh, and we do live in an anxious world where we have 24-hour news that continues to bring us story after story and tragedy after tragedy, and that's the world that we live in. Uh, the other thing that we can, we can kind of scratch our heads about is that we live in a time where we've probably got more safety measures, more things in place to protect people than ever before, uh, yet people are still anxious. They're still worried about the world that they live in. I mean, I had no clue growing up what an unsafe world I lived in, right? I, we didn't have car seats, right? Um, we barely locked the doors on cars or vehicles. Um, I played with toys that had lead paint, you know? Um, Y'all are thinking, this explains so much, right? Uh, that, that we lived, you know, in a world where there, things were, we just weren't afraid of the world in the way that we seem to see people as today, uh, I mean, I'm, prayers for those young mothers that are out there. There's so many things that they have to be concerned about and worried about that uh, we never would have imagined when I was a kid. Um, and so we live in that world, though, I mean, where you've got safety belts, safety harnesses, safety things all over the place, and yet still people are anxious and worried. And it seems as if, even though we've got profound technology in place, things that extend people life uh, in ways that we never thought possible a mere 10 to 15 years ago, uh, that people are still anxious and worried about what's going to happen in their future or how things are going to go. So how could we possibly find peace in those times or in our life right now? Uh, when we think about how things are going or how the future is unveiling, many people are worried and they don't have the kind of peace that God desires for us. And so today I want to uh, look at a beautiful story that's found in the Old Testament that talks about somebody that was able to find peace in the midst of a very difficult time. And if you have your Bibles, you're going to want to open them up to the book of Ruth. If you have your phone, you can follow along there as well. Uh, but I'm going to 
give you a quick summary of the book of Ruth, even though um, it is a, a lengthy book or it's only four chapters. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to read for you the important parts as I see them, and uh, you're going to be uh, joyful in what you find there. So if you, are, you were here last week, we talked about Joshua. Joshua led the people into the promised land. He gave them the hope of uh, being in the land of milk and honey, and yet he warned them if they did not follow God, if they weren't obedient to God, then they were going to be uh, suffering. They were not going to have the, the, the promises that God had wanted for them. And just as he predicted, you read through the book of Judges that follows after Joshua's story, and uh, time and time again, they get a new leader, things go better for a while, and then it falls apart, and things are worse than they were before they got the leader. And it just kind of dwindles down all the way to the story of Samson, if you know that one. Samson, who had superhuman strength, who could crush the walls of the temple, and yet, at the end of it all, things are worse than they were when it began. And then you get to the bleakest moments in the book of the Old Testament, and finally you get to the book of Ruth. So that's where we are. Things haven't gone well, and uh, we read the story of Ruth and the others that are here. So it says, During the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. A man with his wife and two sons went from Bethlehem. Bethlehem seems important this time of year, right? Uh, Bethlehem of Judah to dwell in the territory of Moab. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malan and Chilion. They were Ephorites from Bethlehem and Judah. They entered the territory of Moab and settled there. And so we have the story of a family, and there's the man, Elimelech, his wife, Naomi, their two kids, Malon and Chilion, uh, which means sickly and spent. Kind of a bummer of a nickname, isn't it? Uh, but that's, that's what they were. And so you can kind of tell where the direction of the story is going so far, right? It says, but, but Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. Then only she was left, along with her two sons, they took wives for themselves, Moabite women. The name of the first was Orpah, and the name of the second was Ruth. And they lived there for about ten years. But both the sons, sickly and spent, also died. Only the woman was left, without her two children and without her husband. Then she arose along with her daughters-in-law to return from the field of Moab, because while in the territory of Moab she had heard that the Lord had paid attention to his people by providing for them food. And so we'll stop there for just a second. And I'll just point out to you, it says that we've got this widow who has lost her husband and uh, her two daughter-in-laws. Even though her sons are dead, she still has them. And yet uh, she's very fearful and afraid because in this particular society that she was in, uh, the fact that she didn't have a husband meant that she could not own land. It was not as if she could go back to school and get a second career because that just didn't happen. And so she doesn't have anything and so she does what many of us would do. She tells her daughters-in-law, go back to your own family. I don't have anything for you. I don't have anything I can offer you. I can't provide you with anything. So just go back to them and beg them to take you back in. And so they, they pray about it, and they think about it, and they long about it. And then ultimately you get further along in chapter 1, and she tells them, turn back. And then uh, one of them leaves, Orpah. She goes on to have her talk show career, right? And... Uh, but Ruth stayed with her. It says, Naomi says, look, your sister-in-law is returning to her people and to her gods. Turn back after your sister-in-law. But then we get to beautiful verses. Ruth says, don't urge me to abandon you to turn back from following after you. 
Wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do this to me, more so if even death separates us from you. And um, I, I love those verses, especially today, because they were read at my wedding. My wife knew that she was marrying a Methodist pastor, and one thing that you can guarantee about Methodist pastors is we eventually move, right? And so we had this verse read, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever your people are, they will be my people. And uh, we'll have our anniversary on Tuesday, 19 years, hallelujah, by the grace of God, yeah. And many other people have had those read as well at their wedding. They're beautiful verses about two people that agree that they are going to support and care and take care of each other. So they're wonderful verses. So uh, these two ladies, Naomi and Ruth, uh, are without jobs, without food, without money, without a way to support themselves. And so they do the thing that they are uh, left to do, which is to go and collect food from the fields uh, that people leave for them. This was the way in which God provided um, care for those that were in need. He instructed those who had fields that when they harvest, if they drop something or if they forgot to grab a piece of food, uh, they were to leave it for those that were in need, those that were hurting. And so this is what they do. They go about and they go picking up the food, collecting what's left from the harvest. Uh, and then uh, all of a sudden we have Boaz show up and Boaz is very popular. In chapter 2, verse 4, Boaz enters the scene. He comes on to the, if you're making the movie, this is when he shows up. And Boaz arrives and he speaks the words to his harvesters, his workers. He says, may the Lord be with you. And they reply, may the Lord bless you, which is a sign you're a good boss, right? And he says, you know, you walk into your employees and you say, may the Lord bless you. And they say, and the Lord go with, with you. That's way better than we want to raise or go away, right? And so they like him. He's popular. And uh, Boaz is looking around on his fields, and he, he sees Ruth, and he asks a very important question. In verse 2, he says, um, who does she belong to, right? And um, they take notice of, he takes notice of her, and he begins to talk with her and says, you know, you're somebody that's out there picking around in the fields trying to find food, so let's make things better for you. You can stay just on this field alone, and you're going to be able to gather enough food that you could ever possibly want. You can drink from the well. When the young men bring the water up, you can go and get some of that. You're going to be taken care of. And it's such an abundant gift that um, when you read through it, you find that she goes back out into that one field and collects just a gigantic amount of food. It's so much that, um, that she gets home and she tells Naomi, hey, you won't believe what happened. Um, we, I've got this large amount of food. And, and Naomi asks, she says, well, well, who is it? Who gave you this food? And uh, Ruth gives her the great news. She says, it's Boaz. And Ruth doesn't know it, but Naomi does. And she knows that Boaz is a distant cousin. So this is kind of startling to us. And unless you live in certain parts of Arkansas, you don't marry cousins, right? <laughs> Yet, in the Old Testament, you know, you can cue the romantic music because it was very common. And so, you know, we have the matchmaking happening, and I'm going to skip over the weird thing that happens in the threshing floor and just say, they get married, okay? And um, it's a, a beautiful arrangement now. Naomi and Ruth have all that they need. They have a secure future. They don't have to worry anymore. And ultimately, you get on into chapter 4, 
and you have this beautiful thing happen. And um, the very end of it, this is chapter 4, uh, they have a kid, and it says, The woman said to Naomi, May the Lord be blessed, who today hasn't left you without a Redeemer. May his name be proclaimed in Israel. He will restore your life and sustain you in old age. Your daughter-in-law who loves you has given birth to him. She's better for you than seven sons. Naomi took the child and held him in her breast, and she became his guardian. The neighborhood women gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They called his name Obed. He became Jesse's father and David's grandfather. And why is that so important? A couple of things that are there. One, uh, that Naomi has a redeemer. She was somebody who had lost her husband, lost all the land, forfeited it all over to debt, and um, Boaz becomes her redeemer, her kinsman redeemer. He's the one that speaks on behalf of her, gets her her land back, gets her her name back. Uh, so she has a redeemer. The other thing that's beautiful there is that Naomi looks at Ruth and says, you are better than seven sons. You know, she has a daughter-in-law that's able to help her restore her future. And then finally, what's great about this passage is the genealogy. That out of Naomi, from Ruth, uh, we have Obed. Obed becomes the father of Jesse. And if you read on into Samuel, you see there's a day where the prophet Samuel comes to the house of Jesse and says, from your household there's going to be a king that is born. Jesse looks around and says, what about one of these seven? Samuel says, nope, not one of these. He says, well, there's one left over in the field. I'll go find him. Samuel says, I'm going to stand here until you get him. And it's David. And when you read in Matthew's genealogy, you find that this is the, the ancestor of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's beautiful because out of a widow who has lost everything and her daughter-in-law who has lost her husband, you have a God who redeems and heals and saves and brings redemption into the world. And you say, well, how does this apply to my life? Well, I think it applies in your life in a powerful and a mighty way because so oftentimes when we're struggling, when we're hurting, we're unsure about our future, we hear the good news of Jesus Christ, and yet it just remains as an idea. And what I want to point out to you here is that we worship a God who knows our struggles, knows our hurts, knows our wounds, and that ministers to us in very real and mighty ways that more than just give us a powerful and a mighty future, that God speaks into our lives right here, right now, in this moment, and tells us that God is God, that He is here with us, and that He understands what it is that we need and what it is that we want. That the gospel is more than just words, it's more than a nice story, but it's also something that works in our lives in very real and tangible ways. That it speaks to our hearts and our minds and says we can have peace in the midst of all of this. No matter what's going on, no matter what we're unsure of, that God can still grant us peace in the here and the now. That is part of the great news that we share each and every week. Uh, the other part of this that I think is so beautiful, it says like, well, who is eligible for this peace? Who is part of this salvation? And I just want to just point out to you that God picks these two ladies who in the, their time and in their day were the lowest status. Where is it that Boaz sees Ruth for the first time? She's out there picking in the fields with people who are poor and who are destitute. I mean, in today's terms, Boaz would have walked up on Ruth dumpster diving, right? Um picking over the remains and the refuse of other people. And yet this is exactly who Boaz says, is my family. 
She belongs with my people. She is part of who I am, and I have something to offer her. And that we find in this story this great and wonderful truth that from the lowest, from the least, from the the ones that others have cast aside or deemed unimportant, God raises up the salvation of the world. And so even if you were somebody who came here today thinking that you really don't amount to much or that you haven't achieved much or that you haven't done anything of recognition or that, you know, you should have written the great American novel 30 years ago or whatever it is that you are disappointed about, you can have peace today and just simply knowing that God is here for you. The Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth is here and present in your life each and every moment. That is such a a powerful thing to think about. Another great truth here is that these are two ladies that made their lives available to God. It wasn't based on their ability or their skills or their achievements, but they just made themselves available. And I don't know about you, but some of the greatest times in which I've been able to share the love of God or be in mission or see great things happen in ministry have begun with me answering God's call or God's answer with simple words like, okay, I guess I can do that, right? That if we're just willing to listen to where God is calling us and making our lives available to what God wants for us, great things can happen. And I'll be completely honest with you. Those times in my life where I've said to God or looked at the world and said, I've got these skills, I've got these great abilities, and if I accomplish this, then people will like me more, or whatever I told myself, it's usually disastrous. But if we're willing to just simply make our lives available to what God is doing in the world, great things can happen. The other part that I love here is uh, in chapter 2, is when Boaz looks out on the field, sees that woman, and says, who does she belong to? And I love the question because it's more than just a a question about identity. It's a question about responsibility. It's more than just about who she is, less about who she is than who's responsible for helping her. And I lift that up to you because this time of year, you have such an amazing opportunity to answer that same question. Who do the people that are in need right now, who do they belong to? Boaz looked out and saw a Moabite woman, somebody that was not of, her, of his tribe, was not of anything that was directly related to him, and yet all of a sudden he says, she belongs to me. She's my responsibility. She is the one that I'm going to help. I'm somebody that has resources. I'm somebody that has the ability to make a difference in the world, and so she belongs to me. And you have this amazing opportunity this time of year in which you can answer those same questions and say, there's plenty of orphans out there. There's plenty of widows out there. There's plenty of people who have been pushed to the outskirts of society that nobody seems to care about or have any concern about, and yet you might just be the person that God wants to send their way. Wonderful time of year for you to step up, for you to write that check, for you to go visit somebody who's lonely or hurting and just be with them the way that God is. It's a powerful story, and it's a beautiful story, and it's, it's our story. These two ladies find peace and contentment and joy even in the darkest times because God is their Redeemer.